Oh, that video stresses me out every time I see it, doesn't you? Oh, wow. Kind of describes a lot of our lives, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to start the new year and talk about navigating the new year. It's really about navigating life and just, just reminding ourselves of some of those fundamentals, some of the basic things, the resources that God's given us to, to help us to navigate life. And we've looked at, uh, at the centrality of the, of the owner's manual, uh, God's Word, uh, the Scripture, and how uh, vital that is. And challenged one another to just uh, reinvigorate or for maybe incorporate for the first time more of a regular uh, reading schedule that talked about the power of being connected and how God uses us in one another's lives and the need for authentic uh, community. And I kind of want to talk about a third uh, element, if you will, third resource that God's given us to help navigate life in the new year. Uh, and that is uh, what, what we're going to call a personal coach. You know, personal training has been an exploding industry uh, when it comes to the, the fitness uh, realm. Uh, recent statistics from the uh, United States uh, Labor Department said it is a $10 billion a year industry right now. $10 billion a year in personal trainers, folks that would meet one-on-one or with a small group of folks and kind of give personal fitness instruction along the way. Once was something for just the, the very wealthy, but it's become more and more accessible to those who have perhaps less disposable income. It's even become a part of, of those who, who need personal training to help uh, uh, in, a, in a particular uh, quality of life issue uh, along the way. Uh, there's uh, whatever fitness needs you have, it seems like there's a niche of personal trainers uh, for that now. In addition to the whole realm of personal training, uh, there's another realm of, of coaching, uh, whether that's life coaching, career coaching, uh, business coaching, whatever it might be, and, and uh, men and women who would come alongside and, and not necessarily give you all the answers, but would, would help to ask questions and to direct and to help uh, focus and help you to kind of navigate some uh, obstacles. According to the, uh, the largest kind of governing body of, of coaches, the International Coaching Federation, that is about a $2 billion industry in and of itself uh, right now. So there's this, this explosion. You think, why is that? Why is there this explosion of personal trainers and personal coaches and, and all the trends say it, it looks like it's going to continue for a while? And I think part of it is folks realize that, that they sometimes need some help. Need some help navigating uh, a tough stretch or uh, wrestling with some problems or maybe uh, overcoming something or achieving something they haven't uh, been able to uh, in and of themselves. And so they, they, they reach out to some of these, these resources and these resources kind of help, help them to take the next step along the way. Well, you know, one of the things as I look at God's Word is that long before there was a personal trainer or a personal coach industry, God was in the business of giving personal attention to each and every one of us when it comes to navigating life. In fact, as we read Scripture, we realize God has not left us alone. God has not left us alone to navigate life. And we see the, the role of God's Spirit uh, throughout the Scripture, but Jesus put it uh, in a very personal way in John 16. In John 16, He's trying to prepare His disciples, prepare them for the time when He will not be physically present with them as he's headed to the cross, the burial, the resurrection, and eventually the ascension. And he's not going to be physically with them. And, and in the midst of that, he makes kind of an, a, a statement that I'm sure just 
didn't make sense to them initially. Chapter 16 of John's Gospel, verse 7. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He goes on to begin to talk about some of the things this helper, this comforter will do. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. There's this incredible statement that he said, it is to your advantage as you may have thought it's to your great advantage for me to be physically present, but it's going to be more advantageous for you for me not to because of what God the Father is going to do. He's going to supply you with a personal coach, a personal trainer, a personal guy, this counselor, this comforter, this helper who is going to come alongside you, who will lead you, who will guide you into all truth. You will not be left alone. Every true follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's not that the Holy Spirit just kind of comes and goes in our life, but we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have this personal guidance system, if you will, this personal coach, this trainer, who is with us constantly all the time. And so Paul would write to the Galatians, if we live by the Spirit, if God has brought us new life by His Holy Spirit, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So part of my responsibility, part of my response to what God has done is to recognize the presence of God's Holy Spirit and to learn to try to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. And the question is, of course, how do we do that? And let me just try to give kind of some, some broad thoughts on that this morning in the, in the form of prerequisites. A few prerequisites, and certainly the first would be that I, I am genuinely born again. I genuinely know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I have been sealed with His Holy Spirit. But if we live by the Spirit, if that is true, then how do we keep in step with or walk by the Spirit? I think four things can help. The first is to realize that God will guide me. To realize, regardless of what my experience personally has been, regardless of maybe even what tradition I was raised in, or what folks around me may or may not say, to realize God has made this incredible promise, this incredible offer that He wants to, He desires to guide my life. One of the most beloved sections of of Scripture is the 23rd Psalm, and it pictures the Lord is my shepherd. But notice some of the things the shepherd does. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. One of the key things that this shepherd does is he leads, he directs, he restores, he wants to guide me in life for his namesake, for his best, for my best. He wants to guide me. And so beginning to realize, hey, God doesn't want me to do life alone. 
God genuinely wants to guide me. And if God genuinely wants to guide me, if that is his promise, if that is his, his purpose, then it makes sense for me to ask him, to ask God to guide me. One of my favorite scriptures that I go to regularly is James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, I always go back there because as I've told you many times, I qualify on the front end, right? If any of you lacks wisdom, what do you do? Let him ask God. Let him ask God. So I am to ask God. I am to ask God to guide me. The psalmist put it this way, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on the level path because of my enemies. What if I just began to approach life with that perspective, God, I know you want to guide me. God, I desire for you to guide me. God, lead me. God, teach me. God, show me your way. In this relationship, in this opportunity, in this obstacle, in my career, uh, whatever it may be, uh, God, teach me your way. Lead me on the level path. But not only do I need to ask God to guide me, but I have to do so with a belief. I have to believe that God wants to answer. Let's continue building on that first phrase in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Notice what it tells us about God. Who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. When you ask, ask with that, that faith. And this isn't just something conjured up. This is just, this is just taking God at his word. God desires to guide me. God desires to direct me. And so, God, I ask you, you have, you've told me to ask, and I ask trusting, trusting in your character. You're the one who wants to give generously to all without reproach. It's not about me earning it. It's about who God is. And I, so I ask in faith, not doubting. If I, if I, if I doubt, I, I set myself up to be tossed like a, like a boat on a, on a, on a windy ocean and, and to be tossed back and forth along the way. So realize what God has said. Ask, ask in faith for God to, to guide me along the way and then prioritize. But I am going to prioritize listening to and obeying God. Prioritize listening to and obeying God. Psalm 123 has this wonderful picture. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. That, that wonderful picture that, a, that an attentive servant would, would lock on, would lock on to the master. And they would, would know with a subtle movement of the hand when it was time to bring something or to serve something or clear something or whatever it may be. And there's that, that picture of, of, of being attentive, of, of seeking the Lord our God in such a way that we, we begin to understand His direction along the way. I remember a few years ago I, I read of... Uh, 
Uh, Warren Buffett, uh, and many of you know the, the name of Warren Buffett, obviously one of the richest uh, uh, individuals in the, in the world, a legendary investor, and uh, actually a philanthropist, has, has been set up some things to just uh, uh, give away and help finance uh, uh, so many charitable causes. Well, several years ago, in, in an effort to help raise some money for a, for a foundation, they, they came up with an idea uh, that Warren Buffett was going to auction off uh, online a lunch, that you could have lunch one-on-one with Warren Buffett, online auction. The winning bid, $351,100. I hope food was included in that, don't you? <laughs> don't you? Somebody prioritized enough, thought highly enough of a lunch with Warren Buffett. It probably, you know, there was a tax write-off, whatever factored into that. But they were going to spend $351,000 for one lunch with Warren Buffett. Now, I have no idea whether they recouped that investment because of of their uh, financial advice or not. But think about this. As brilliant as a Warren Buffett is or anybody else, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is the very definition of all truth, has said, I want to guide you. I want to direct you. I want to lead you. I don't want you to do life alone. That's not how I designed you. How much priority should we place upon listening to and obeying our God? And can I just emphasize for a moment that obey? If one of the reasons we don't hear God is because we haven't done the last thing he told us to. And if we consistently don't do what he tells us to, why would he tell us anything else? And maybe one of the reasons we get stuck sometimes is because we haven't done the last thing that God clearly told us to do. So I prioritize listening to and obeying God. I love the way that Henry Blackaby talks about it. My quiet time is not for a devotional thought, but for a deeper relationship with my Heavenly Father. It alerts me to what God wants to do in my life the rest of the day. What what if, what if, men and women, what if you and I began to to approach time with God with that mindset? We began to approach the Bible with that mindset that there is a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A God who spoke then and still speaks today. A God who inspired this word and takes this word and quickens it to my life. A God who knows what's ahead in my life and can give guide me into all truth and guide me into what he's doing in my day. Though that I'm time with him is not just about getting a warm thought for a day. It's not even about getting this great insight that somehow, some way I could maybe be able to share with somebody else and maybe even impress them with my spirituality, right? But, but it's about setting my heart in tune with the Father, with his agenda, with what he's purposing to do. And how I can get in on it. How I can align my life with what God wants to do. So we come with that 
prerequisite, that realization that God wants to guide, that we ask in faith, believing that he wants to guide, and that we prioritize listening and set our hearts in advance to obey whatever it is that he has said to it. Now, at this moment, some of you are perhaps getting a little uneasy. You're saying, Jeff, I, you, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, you're, you're talking all this stuff, and it's kind of sounding a little mystical and that sort of thing. Well, I don't know about mystical, but it is supernatural. And maybe you're saying, well, I'm, I'm uneasy because, they, they, I tell you, I've heard an awful lot of folks, and, and you can even look back through history, that folks who've said God told them to do this, and it was obviously not of God, and it was a disaster, and it brought heartache, and it brought pain. I agree. I agree. But hear me, just because there's counterfeits doesn't mean there's not an original, right? Just because there are folks in a sin-scarred world that twist and distort the leadership of God doesn't mean that God doesn't genuinely lead in God. He does. He does. But because of the possibility of twisting and distortion, we need to practice the art of discernment. First John 4, 1 says not to believe every spirit, but to test the spirits. Test the spirits. And so what I want to do, I want to spend a little bit of time because as we kind of set our hearts to, to open our lives to say, God, I really want you to guide me, there are some guardrails that will help. There are some things that will help us to practice this art of discernment. And the first and the foundational one is this question. Does it agree with the Bible? Does it agree with the Bible? That should be the first question that we always ask. I've always uh, lifted up and, and, and been impressed by the example of, uh, of so, some folks in a place called Berea. Was Paul's bringing this message and this, this kind of new message, this radical message, in, and what they do is they listen, but they test it, and they test it against the backdrop of Scripture. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. As they were hearing this proclamation of Jesus, they went back to the Scripture to see, is this in alignment with the Scripture? Listen, the Spirit of God has inspired the Word of God. God's Spirit is never going to lead you to do something that will contradict God's Word. It will be always be in alignment with God's Word. And so one of the first and the foundational, and I think probably the most important checkpoint is, does it agree with the Bible? Does it agree with the Bible? But I can bring alongside that the, the power of some other questions. Secondly, does it make me more like Christ? Does it make me more like Christ? A couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Scripture, Remember, we talked about the, the goal, and we talked about several kind of goals in, in interacting with Scripture, but the ultimate goal was Romans eight twenty nine that I would become like Christ. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many 
brothers. So we talked about the fact of, uh, does it help me to live like Jesus lived? Does it help me to love like Jesus loved? Does it help me to leave behind what Jesus left behind? And so one of the questions that I need to ask is, if I begin to walk in this way, if I follow this prompting there, does it help me to become more like Christ? Uh, Paul invited folks to be an imitator of him as he was of Christ, that Christ is the standard. And so one of the questions I can ask on a regular basis as I'm seeking God's leadership, does it make me more like Christ? Does it help me to form more of the character of Christ? Does it help me to display more of the fruit of God's Spirit? Does it help me to love God and love others? Does it help me to leave behind a legacy like Jesus left behind so that I begin to ask those type of questions? Does this help me to become more like Christ. Another question that can help in discernment is the body. Do wise, mature believers confirm it? Do wise, mature believers confirm it? Proverbs tells us the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Listen, we can all get sideways. We can all rationalize and justify some wild things at times, can't we? All right? Some of you have done that when you're trying to explain a purchase you've made to your spouse, right? Uh, all sorts of, uh, of reasoning, right? Wise person listens to advice. Proverbs continues, listens to advice and accept wi- instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Now, now let, me, let me kind of bring alongside this. I, I don't think everybody's counsel is the same. I tell folks, don't count way. Don't count way. The crowd may not be right. That's why we've said wise, mature believers. Because very often, if you're listening to the voice of the Father, it may send you in a direction that is contrary to culture. At times, even church culture. And so you you have to have those few. That's why we talked last week about being connected to authentic community. I need wise, mature believers in my life. They help me to discern the leadership of God's Spirit in my life. Do wise, mature believers confirm it? A fourth uh, test, if you will, or question, is it convicting rather than condemning? Is it convicting rather than condemning? Let me try to unpack this for a moment. What what we know is we have an enemy, a very real enemy who is alive, active in the world. He's called a lot of different names, uh, the the, the slanderer, a liar, the father of lies. Revelation calls him an accuser. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And one of the things the enemy will do, he'll, he'll whisper accusations. He'll whisper those accusations, and we have to come back and, and put against that the truth that if I am in Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here's the distinction. God's Spirit will convict. The enemy will condemn. God's Spirit will convict. He, he will convict me very specifically about this action. This word, this attitude, this 
thing I'm harboring in my heart. He'll, he'll speak to me about those things, and he'll call me to turn from those. And so when God convicts, the appropriate response is always to confess and to return. That's why 1 John 1, 9 is there in the Bible. It is written to believers. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I I see it the same way that he sees it. I speak about it the same way that he speaks about it. I turn from it and turn anew and afresh to him. God's Spirit will convict. He doesn't want to allow attitudes, actions, words, habits that continue in my life that bring destruction into my life, that bring frustration and disappointment and damage into the relationships of my life. And so in love, he will convict. The enemy will condemn. He will accuse you. You're worthless. You'll never change. God could never use you. You've blown it again. Might as well give up. God may save you. He's just going to put you on the shelf. Who do you think you are? And on and on and on the voice of accusation will go. It's not a conviction to turn and return to God. It's a condemnation about who you are. It's more about a who instead of what you do. God's Spirit will convict. The enemy will condemn. So I have to ask myself, is this this what I'm sensing with God? Is this a convicting thing or is it a condemning thing? I'm I'm just going to park for just a moment more here. Because for some of you in this room, this will be a very freeing question. Because I have been around long enough to know that there are people who get stuck. And they get stuck because the enemy is using something. Something from their past. Maybe it's something somebody else said to them or about them. And he will bludgeon you with that. Over and over and over and over again. And if you accept that as being God's voice to you, you will miss God's best for you. God's Spirit will convict. The enemy will condemn. Fifth question. Do I sense God's peace about it? Now stick with me on this one. Do I sense God's peace about it. Colossians says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To rule in your hearts. That word rule in the Greek is a very interesting term. It's actually an athletic term. It means to preside at the games, to distribute the prizes. It was used of one that maybe today we would call an umpire, one who, who judges and, and rejects a contestant because they're not qualified or, or disqualifies someone who breaks the rules. And Paul uses that terminology to say, let the, the Spirit of Christ. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire in your life. Let it rule. Let it disqualify some things from your life. Let it help to confirm other things in your life along the way. Paul would write to the Philippians about the peace of God which surpasses all understanding 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We come to him in anxiety. We come to him in worry. We come to him in fear. And as we spend time in him, his, his peace begins to guard our heart. Now, I, I'm going to be very honest with you. Whenever I teach on this, I have a bit of an angst. Because I, I've had enough folks through the years who have explained away a whole lot of behavior with the expression, well, I have a peace about it. So what I'm going to say to you is, number five is important, but you always go back to number one. See number one, all right? Is if you have a peace about something that contradicts Scripture, it's not God's peace. It's not God's peace. If you have a peace about something that's contrary to Scripture and mature, wise believers are saying, I'm not sure how this is wrong, that's not the peace of God. But I'll tell you, God's peace can serve as an umpire. Let me just share with you one example. I, as I was preparing this message, I hadn't thought about this in years, but it came back to my mind. We were newly married and very, very young, didn't have hardly anything. We were living a thousand miles away from home and had a church that had reached out about coming on staff with them. And it, it was seemingly a great situation and everything was lining up and, you know, you get the old piece of paper out and you draw the line down the middle and you got the pros and, and the con and like the pros were huge. I mean, was great church, great opportunity. Uh, the, the lead pastor had a good reputation in the state and uh, they, they were offering more money than I ever thought I was going to make at that certainly stage of life. We, we were kind of cramped into a little old one bedroom apartment, just a tile floor and just barely had anything. And they had arranged for a, us to live in a, a big old house and, and we, we didn't have furniture to fill half that house, you know, and, and all this stuff. And I mean, all these things were, were lining up and we went and very gracious folks and we just walked away and prayed about it and the list was long on the pro side very few cons but just couldn't get a piece about it couldn't get a piece and honestly could have used the money <laughs> yeah but couldn't get a piece and so I eventually called them back up and said, listen, thank you all for the time. And, and I kind of hate to do this because we've invested a lot of time and conversation in this. But I just can't come. I don't have a piece about it. And they were disappointed and walked away. And thought, God, that was the end of it. And a week later, they called back and offered more money. I said, well, we really want you to, to come. We've been praying about it and we just, we really want you to come. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody offers me more money, I pray about it. And I say, sure, I'll think about it again. <laughs> and we did. Still couldn't get a piece about it. Several days later, called them back and said, again, thank you all so much. But just, just can't go. Just cannot go. Don't have a piece about it. Now, I wish I could tell you, as soon as I hung up, phone rang, and another church called and offered me twice as much money, and it didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen. 
But you know, one thing I did find out did happen a couple months later is that pastor ended up leaving that church. And some issues quickly unearthed and it was just a mess. It's a disaster. And I was young and dumb, but I just realized, God, you protected me. You protected me. And what you used to protect me was an umpire. The peace of Christ that was not present and would not allow me to go forward. And so I come and I have to just ask, do I sense God's peace about it? Can it be twisted and distorted? Sure can. But that doesn't mean it's not one of the ways that God will speak to us as we discern. A couple more. Does this help or hinder my gospel witness? Does this help or hinder my gospel witness? When Paul was thinking about how he would act, how he would relate to people, one of the the chief questions was, how is this going to impact my capacity to be a communicator of the gospel? To the weak, he said, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. He he says, I'm going to adapt so that the gospel will be helped. The, The Corinthians, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. And so one of the criteria for for following God's leadership was that question, does this help my gospel witness? There may be some things that you would say, well, it's not technically wrong. It's not blatantly immoral. There are even other folks that do it. But God, for me, this could be a hindrance. This could be a stumbling block to somebody else. Not about me, but how it might impact somebody else. And so does it help or does it hinder my gospel witness? And one last question, does it glorify God? Because isn't that one of the base criterias for our life? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And again, I realize we can do lots of fancy kind of footwork and rationalization and justification here, but I heard a a naval officer say one time, and in writing, uh, one of their rules of thumb was this about making a decision. What if this decision ends up on the front page of the newspaper? What if this decision ends up on the front page of the newspaper? What if I'm about to do ends up on the front page of the newspaper? It's not a bad question. (laughs) Obviously, not everybody needs to know about everything, but if what I'm doing and the way I'm doing it were to be more widely known, would God be honored? Would God be glorified? Listen, this, this one catches me sometimes because... I know I'm capable, and I've seen some folks do some incredible things, and they, they've done it in the name of, of God, of what's good for the church, or 
good for their family, whatever it may be. But that's a rationalization. And if they just had this one simple test, not just what your intention is, but what you actually did, if it became known, what you did and why you're doing, if it became known, would it glorify God? Would it glorify God? That'll help clarify a lot of decisions in your life along the way. Now, one of my fears in talking about seven questions is that you may walk away and and think, well, God's leadership is is just all kind of about the formula here, right? You just kind of ask the right questions and you, uh, you, you spit out the right answer, right? No. Bottom line is, when we think about, uh, about God's guidance, His personal coaching, His trading in our life, it, it, it is about a relationship. The secret to hearing and recognizing God's voice is really getting to know Him better every day. The more I know Him, the better I'm going to recognize His guidance in my life. Whoever is of God hears the Word of God, Jesus taught. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The very first question is, am I genuinely in a relationship with God that's only made possible through Jesus Christ? And I'm going to just, uh, just beg you today, if you're here and you're not sure, if you're not sure what it means to be in a real and personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then before you leave this place, I'm going to invite you to talk with someone. We have an area set aside just for that, our connect area. And there's going to be some folks at the close of the service. They're going to be available to you just to serve you, to have a conversation with you, to answer some questions, to to take you to God's Word and talk to you about how you can know that you're connected to Him. Because that is the foundation to walking with His voice. Specific guidance flows out of our daily walk with God. Specific guidance for that relationship, for that career choice, for that financial decision, for that opportunity, for overcoming that obstacle. It flows out of a relationship, our daily walk with the Lord. Some of you have heard me say this before, God is not Google, all right? God is not Google, so they, you have a question and you run to God and you say, yeah, God, what's the answer? And that he's like the Bible answer man up there, or whatever it might be. No, no, no. God is not Google. God is a person. He desires more than just giving an answer. He desires a relationship. A relationship that is very real, and it is very personal. And so to recognize God's voice, I have to learn to focus on my relationship with God. And isn't that the core of the greatest commandment of all? Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the great and the first commandment. To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of those other things, including his guidance, will be added unto me. And so it it flows from a relationship, not a formula. God invites us not to to just have this checklist of questions, but to enter into this relationship with Him. And so one of the, the priorities of my life is to position myself to hear whatever it is that God has to say to me. 
That's why we've talked about the importance of Scripture. That's why we talked about the importance of connecting to community. That's why we're going to spend 40 days beginning February 11th focusing on prayer together. We want to position ourselves to put ourselves in the best possible position to hear God's voice. It was the comedian Lily Tomlin that famously said, why is it that when we speak to God, we say we're praying, but when God speaks to us, we're called schizophrenic, right? (laughs) But God does speak. And so I have to position myself to hear whatever God says. I began by talking about personal training. Let's kind of put that together in this way. Maybe if you go to a personal trainer and they, they're starting to give you some coaching about exercise and that sort of thing, and, and one of the, the kind of memory tools that sometimes some of them use is the word FIT, F-I-T, that if you're going to get any value out of this exercise program, you have to have at least three things. You have to have the right frequency. You have to do it uh, in the right frequency, and maybe an exercise word, it might be every other day with this or whatever it may be, but the right frequency. You have to, you can't just do exercises once every other month and expect results, right? You have to do it in the right frequency. You you can't just kind of run to God in, in this desperate situation and say, God, I need an answer and I need it now. And you haven't been listening to his voice all along. It'll be hard to recognize it. Frequency, but also intensity. Intensity. You can't go in and and lift a three-pound dumbbell twice and then run off to Starbucks, right? That's not going to get a lot done. You have to push beyond a comfort zone. You have to have an intensity there. And then also you have to do it over a period of time. Over a period of time. That if you just go the first week and, man, you hit it hard and you paid this personal trainer and, and you say, man, I, I don't look any different. The only thing I do is feel sore. Of course. It's not what you do once in a while. It's what you do consistently over time that makes a difference, right? And so you have to, to consistently show up over time. I have to prioritize listening to his voice, to have that time in his word, to have that time in a listening posture of prayer. There's an old story, perhaps apocryphal, but nonetheless true and powerful, I think, or true and it's what it teaches. It comes from the days of telegraph. When telegraph was the, the, the fastest, most efficient way to get a message over long distance, And a community had an opening in their telegraph office, and so they posted for the job. Several individuals showed up for the job, and as they walked into the the station, there was a sign there that's on the receptionist's desk, said, take this application, fill it out, sit in the waiting room until you're called. Several guys came in, filled out the application, sat down. One young man came in filled out the application, sat down, he's filling it out, and he's noticing the other guys. There's all the noise, all the hustle and bustle. There's the sound of the telegraphs, uh, you know, tapping out the Morse code. So it's, it's, it's a very, very busy place. After a few moments, this guy gets up. He walks past everybody else, opens the door, walks in, shuts the door behind him. The other applicants are just, they're looking at each other. They're stunned, right? Who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And they're just like anticipating. We can't wait. Let's just watch because in just a minute, he's going to get his rear end tossed out the door, right? 
Well, he doesn't show up for a couple minutes. And then finally the door opens up. Young man comes out. The guy getting ready to do the hiring steps out right behind him. Says, gentlemen, thank you for coming and applying, but the position's already been filled by this young man. Howls of protest fill the waiting room. Wait a minute, that's not fair. Nepotism or the fix is in or whatever it might be and all these complaints and the guy kind of quiets the room and he said, gentlemen, said, since you've been here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. You've been sitting here for some time, and none of you heard it, understood it, and acted upon it. This young man did, and so the job is his. Could it be? Could it be? that God is speaking all the time. But we're not tuned in. Could it be that God really is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Could it be that God wants to guide my life and yours as surely as we see him guiding in the pages of Scripture? Could it, could it be that God is just looking for a man, for a woman, for those individuals who will set their hearts to, to listen and obey? And as they hear his voice, they, they move in obedience to his call. And when he finds that man or that woman, he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all they can ask, think, or imagine. Could it be that God's looking for a church? would be a kind of church that listens and obeys. Let me just challenge you for a moment more. What if, what if you decided that God really does want to guide your life? What if you decided, God, I'm going to ask for it, and I'm going to believe you for it, and I'm going to prioritize listening and obeying whatever it is that you say. And God, I, I, I'm going to trust that you speak today as surely as you spoke in the pages of Scripture. And you use a wide variety of ways, but that you speak. And God, I don't want to get to the end of my life, and we're all going to get to the end of our run, right? Perhaps sooner than we expect. I don't want to get to the end of my run and look back with regret. And we all have some things we'll regret. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. But increasingly, I'm convinced that what we're going to look back on and regret the most is not the things that some of us did, it's the things we didn't do. The times we didn't listen to the voice of God. The times we chose our comfort zone over a new frontier.
the times we stayed doing the same old thing in the same old way because that's what we knew and that's what we were comfortable with and that's what everybody else did instead of saying, God, what are you up to today and how do I get in on it? What would your life look like if you decided God, with whatever days I have remaining, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in the comfort zone. And so, God, I'm going to set my heart to listen to you. And wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever you say, I'll do. God, I'm ready. Speak, for your servant is listening. What if you came to the end of your run and you could look back not with regret but with astonishment and celebration because you decided to listen and obey the voice of your God. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, speak. Please speak. We know you desire to speak. We know you do speak. For your servants are indeed listening. And I'm just going to ask you right now just to be very still in the presence of God. And as you spend these next few moments before him... I'm just going to ask you to be in a posture of listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And there's some questions in the box in your note-taking guide that invite you to make it personal. If those questions help you to listen today, then you...